Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Well, today we're continuing our discussion on the means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to create and to confirm or to strengthen faith. Now, if you remember last time, uh, we looked together at the Heidelberg Catechism and what it says in Lord's Day 25 about these things. Uh, Lord's Day 25 asked the question, well, if faith uh, makes us share in Jesus Christ, if we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, Where does this faith come from? What's its source? And the answer there was by the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts through the word, through the preaching, and through the sacraments. It's strengthened through the use of the sacraments. And then we learned in in Lord's Day 25 that in the New Covenant era, ushered in by Christ's death and resurrection, there are two sacraments. And both of these are instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the sacrament of baptism, and there's the sacrament of Lord's Supper. And these, together with the word, are the ordinary means of grace. Now, at the outset of any sort of conversation about these things, we should be clear about a couple of things. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit creates faith through the word. And the sacraments are what the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen existing faith. The the sacraments do not create faith. They support the word and their means of grace that believers use as they walk through this life on the way to the New Jerusalem. They use these to strengthen their faith by God's grace. That's an important arrangement that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds as we talk about these things. Now we're talking about the sacraments. What are the sacraments? Well, again, we can look back to Lord's Day 25. And to be perfectly honest with you, if we look at Lord's Day 25, uh, there's a bit of a spoiler alert in question and answer 66. In fact, if if you read question and answer 66 already, um, and if you're familiar with it, then that's pretty much a dead giveaway of everything that's going to be said in Lord's Days 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. I remember when I was learning how to write essays in university and in high school, the the method that we were told to use all the time was tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then remind them of what you said. And so you can see that happening in the catechism here already in, in question and answer 66. They tell us what they're going to say, and then they're going to say it again to us today. So let's look at that again just as a, as a way of review. Uh, question 66 asks this question, what are the sacraments? And the answer there is the sacraments are holy, they are visible signs, and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Now we could rephrase uh, this question. We could say, well, what do the sacraments picture? Um, what do they point to? What is this promise that they point to? And it's very clear that the sacraments, both of them, point 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They point to an unchanging reality. Christ, he said from the cross, it is finished. Christ paid our debt in full. So both baptism and the Lord's Supper, they point to the same reality. They point to an unchanging objective truth. This is very important that we understand this at the outset of any sort of discussion on the sacraments. This is theological language when we speak to uh, the, the sacraments pointing to an objective truth. And I want to press this a, a little bit for you this day because it will help us understand uh, certainly questions like for whom is baptism to be administered. By way of comparison, we could look to other passages in the scriptures. So in the New Covenant era, we have the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. But if we turn backwards in our Bibles, we find different covenants throughout the Bible. We could go all the way back to the first chapters of the Bible. Uh, We find God's covenant with creation, God's covenant with Adam in particular in Genesis 2 and 3. He tells Adam to be fruitful and multiply, but, but he gives them all sorts of things. And you could say there's two ordinances, there are two signs and seals in this covenant. One is the tree of life, and one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, neither of these trees point to a subjective reality. Neither of these trees point to Adam's faith and Adam's obedience. Both of these trees, they point to God's sovereignty. They point to God's goodness and grace. They point to God's trustworthiness. They point to an objective reality that never changes. Now, if we flip forward in our Bibles to Genesis 8 and Genesis 9, we find the story of the flood. And after the flood, uh, the ark settles on top of a mountain, and and Noah and his family, they go out of the the ark, and Noah sacrifices some, some offerings to the Lord. And the Lord smells these offerings. And he says in Genesis 8, verse 21 and 22, that, that he's never going to, to destroy the world ever again. He actually says in, in Genesis 8, verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then as a sign, as a symbol of this promise of the Lord, God put a rainbow in the sky. Now again, we we need to understand here, this sign was not symbolizing uh, Noah's subjective response. We know that God knew already there that mankind would continue to be sinful. Uh, Just like mankind was sinful before the flood, he would be sinful after the flood. And yet God says, I'm not going to destroy this earth again. And so he puts this rainbow in the sky. It's a picture of his objective promises. Then we can fast forward again to Abraham, where God enters into a relationship. He makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 11 and following, the Lord, he promises to Abraham that he's going to be his God. And he's going to be a God to all of Abraham's descendants. And he's going to give Abraham the land in which he is sojourning. He's going to give this land to Abraham's descendants forever and ever. And he's going to be their God. And then as a sign of that covenant, the Lord gave the sacrament of circumcision. And again, the the sacrament of circumcision was not so much a picture of Abraham's faithfulness. He responds and he does this to his whole household. But the sacrament of circumcision pointed to an objective reality. God's promises in this covenant. 
Well, finally, we can think of the Passover feast that the people of Israel celebrated for nearly 1,500 years after the very first Passover that took place in Egypt. For 1,500 years, uh, the people of Israel, every year, they would gather together, they would slaughter a lamb, and they would remember how the Lord had delivered them from Egypt and how on that night they had been asked to take the blood of this lamb and to paint the door frames of their homes. They remembered how God had been faithful. They remembered what God had done. Now we come full circle and we come back to the new covenant era. And we come back to the sacraments of baptism and the sacraments of Lord's Supper. What do they point to? Do they point to an objective reality, to unchanging promises, gospel promises, or do they point to our subjective response to those promises? I hope you see where I'm, I'm going with these questions. Take another look again at answer 66 in the Heidelberg Catechism. What did it say there? It said the sacraments are holy. Uh, that means they're, they're special. They're set apart. They're visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God. So we don't make them up ourselves. God instituted them so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us. It's him telling us what the promise of the gospel And what's the promise? This is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not water. It's not holy water. It's no sacrament. Only the blood of Jesus Christ washes our sins away. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His sacrifice on the cross, it is the only way of our salvation. And baptism simply, in a powerful and beautiful way, points to that, whether we see an infant being baptized or whether we see a new believer being baptized. Now here's a question for all of us today as we're thinking about these things. Where's the application here? Well, I think it's good that we reflect more frequently on our baptism. I think it's good that we reflect on these things more frequently when we witness the baptisms of other people. You know, we can become so discouraged in life. We can become so worn down and beaten down by just the trials in this life and the anxieties in this life. Now, we, all of us, we're, we're going through a bit of a difficult time now. We find ourselves failing time and again. We lose our temper. We lose our patience. We get irritable. We get angry. We say things we shouldn't say. We, we think things we shouldn't think. We don't trust God enough. We feel like miserable failures and we break down. We've all been there. We've all been feeling it. So it's good for us to think about our baptism. Even on our worst days, we're reminded we have been baptized. We are nobility. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. When you were baptized, God the Father promised he would adopt you to be his child. When you were baptized, the Lord Jesus Christ promised that just like that water that that spilled on your forehead, or if you were immersed, that water washes dirt away from your body, well, your sins have been washed away. Even your failures every day this past week. When you fail again, you you think of your baptism again, and you think that the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave on Easter Sunday, that same spirit, he's alive in your heart. And he gives you the power to walk in newness of life. He gives you the power uh, to overcome sin in your life. Just like we read in Romans 6, you are not under the dominion of the law. You are under the dominion of grace. You are not a slave to sin. 
and lawlessness, you are slaves to righteousness because you have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. As you think about Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the empty tomb and his victory over the grave, his victory over sin, and you think about how you are united to Christ by faith and how you hear that as we open the word and how you remember that every time we think of our baptism, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be blessed by you. And we pray that your spirit will continue to work in our hearts We pray that your spirit will continue to strengthen our faith as we open your word. But Lord, we also pray that as we remember our baptisms, as we look forward to worship services where we will see baptisms and we will participate in the Lord's Supper, Father, as we think about these things, we pray that you will strengthen our faith, that you will remind us time and again of the gospel promises that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that every day there's a new opportunity to walk in newness of life, Sin doesn't have the last say in our, in our lives and in our existence. Christ's blood paid in full. So, Father, may that be our hope and our joy as we go forward in this week. Amen.